Hey there, welcome to episode two. If you've been thinking about ways to use OpenAI or ChatGPT in your business, this episode is for you. I met with Arjun Kanan, who's co-founder of a prop tech startup called Residesk that's been wildly successful in using OpenAI to power customer support workflows inside their product. We did a deep dive on how Residesk is using OpenAI, how it's helping them, and how they've navigated some of the challenges of building on these new APIs. Having talked to a number of people attempting to do this kind of thing, I can say that Arjun and his team are definitely ahead of the curve. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Still Updating. This show is an open-ended exploration about data, AI, and how modern businesses are using technology to compete in the marketplace. Still Updating is brought to you by Endeavor Labs. By no coincidence, I, Nathan Gould, am both the founder of Endeavor Labs and the host of this podcast. Endeavor Labs is a data and AI-focused consultancy that helps businesses become smarter, faster, and leaner by leveling up their data game. With that said, let's get to the show. All right. So today we're joined by a very cool guest. We've got Arjun Kanan. Arjun is a co-founder of Residesk, which is a software platform for residential property managers to communicate with residents more effectively. I met Arjun recently. We got to talking about how he's using AI in his business. The short version of it is he's doing it very successfully. So I thought it'd be fun to have him on and we could talk about what he's doing, what he's learned, and maybe some advice for listeners and you know whatever else comes up. So Arjun, why don't you say hi and introduce yourself? Hey, yeah, I'm Arjun Kanan. I'm one of the founders of ResiDesk. Uh, what we do at ResiDesk is that we are, we're the first customer insights platform for residential real estate. And our first product is a resident concierge, aka properties being able to text their residents and residents being able to text their property, answering questions, helping them solve issues, all of that stuff. Just two seconds on why we did this is I think everybody has experience being a renter and how shitty that experience is, is not lost on any of us. Property management is basically one of the largest industries, if not the largest. And it's maybe one of the only industries that just never, ever talks to its customer. And that's, if you think about it for just a second, kind of crazy, right? It's almost the golden rule of business that if you have a business and you have a customer, you probably want to talk to them because you might learn more about what they want and what they don't. And that helps you thrive as a business, help them help, help keep them happy and make more money. Um, and yet that is something that simply does not happen in this industry, not because people don't want it to, but because for many, many good and many, many not so good reasons, the industry is set up where the property managers manage, manage the property. Nobody really manages the residents. And so all of that has led to this really funny set of events where people who own and manage lots and lots of rental buildings um, effectively have incredibly accurate data and predictions about the financial performance of their business and virtually zero, if not actually zero data about what their residents want and don't want. Again, that sounds like a really silly thing to say in 2023, because who doesn't have a customer insights platform? Who doesn't survey their customers? Who doesn't set up a good customer experience? Are the industries that aren't incentivized to do it? So what Residence does is help them get to understand what their residents want and don't want by surprise, helping them talk to their residents and helping their residents speak to them. The way that we do that is if you 
are a renter at a property that ResiDesk serves, you get a phone number for the property and a person, an actual person, not an AI chatbot, an actual person helped by an AI co-pilot will text you from that number different points when you move in, when you're about to move out, which are the two the only two times that your landlord talks to you, but also all the other times when uh, when it's good to check in. So every few months, every few every time you open or close a ticket, anytime you have questions, and then from time to time reach out and ask you about you know how you feel around all the key things at the property, whether it's a new amenity or a community event or things like that. Again, if all of that sounds incredibly basic to you, it's because it is. Uh, that's the experience that all of us have when we rent from, you know, a, a landlord who only owns that one apartment. Like we're intimately in touch with them. They know us. They know our families. They know what we want. They know when we need to move. They know when we're going to stay. They know that I don't care so much about getting that AC fixed, uh, but I do really care about maybe reflooring the kitchen because I cook a lot. Like all of the, all of these kinds of things simply get lost at scale, and uh, that's a real shame because it means that everybody's experience of renting, which is the biggest item on any average person's bill every month, is worse than uh, their experience at the grocery store. And then on the business side, their experience of their residence is that they only hear from the people who are really, 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 really pissed off, and nobody else. And that is a match made in purgatory, and uh, we need to change that. So that's what we're trying to do. And so why that's interesting, I think, for, the, for our topic today, potentially, is that being a customer service paradigm, uh, it turns out that when you speak to residents, there's literally tens or hundreds of things that you can help them with and they can help you with. And that implies making sense of the conversation in both directions and turning it into useful data or useful tasks to be done for the property, for the resident, or for ResiDesk itself. And one of the great things, even though we did not start as a generative AI company, and we think of AI as a co-pilot, one of the great things about the last six months has been that we have now seen the emergence of this new technology that is effectively incredibly good at taking large amounts of fuzzy information and outputting reasonably good interpretations of that information into structured data. And that's pretty amazing because it helps us do everything from answer incredibly specific, specific questions based on the PDFs that residents get when they move in to routing them to the right person at the property because GPT can read the property directory and let us know who to, who to send them to. All of it practically leading to us being able to answer 95% of resident questions automatically and then knowing how to proactively and productively move forward on the other 5% means meaning ultimately everybody has a really good experience when they live in their apartment, which shouldn't we all have that? Yeah, totally. So just to make this concrete for, for people who are listening in, what, what are some examples of, of kind of nuggets of value that, you know, either a, a landlord or a tenant might get um, as a result of, of using this sort of software that they wouldn't get otherwise? That's a great question. So the, the first sort of value is really simple. It saves everybody time. If you've ever had the pleasure of reaching out to your landlord for anything that isn't the apartment burning down, 
you know that it takes basically forever to hear back. That's really frustrating for you as the resident. It's also really frustrating for the landlord because usually they have one person on site who is on average getting about 40 emails a day and they have to aggressively prioritize the things that mean that that are about the building burning down and almost nothing else. So all the urgent tasks get done, but not all the important tasks get done. The benefit of being able to deploy AI in the middle of all of this, uh, along with a human to help answer those questions, is that 95% of those questions don't even need to go to the site team. Uh, they can be answered directly by texting ResiDesk. Uh, that's just a much better experience overall. Everything from, hey, are the elevators going to be working to letting them know that, uh, you know, there's going to be a, there's going to be a barbecue next week at the, at, at the community garden. All of those things can happen automatically without the property team needing to put another person in place while ensuring at the same time the resident basically gets like a hotel-like experience. That's like baseline. Um, and the reason that's so important, even though it sounds so basic, is that anywhere between 70 and 80% of questions that residents ask site teams are easily answered from the from the pieces of paper that the that the property puts together for new residents. And one of the things that we happen to do is synthesize all of those all of those documents, which means that the property now not only needs to, you know, they don't even need to worry about these questions. They can, they don't even need to train new people on those questions as often as they used to. So it saves on time, saves on training costs. It's it's kind of the ultimate double whammy of lower cost yet higher perceived customer service. But you know, there's a ton more that you can do from there, right? Like there's all sorts of mismatches between the way that a property thinks about the resident experience and the way that the resident thinks about the resident experience, right? The property thinks of the resident experience in terms of line items and jobs to be done. So they think about, oh, you have a problem with maintenance. Here's your maintenance ticketing system. You have a question about rent. Here's your payment portal. You want to book an amenity. Here's the amenity system. You want to uh, host a party? Here's the uh, here's the community events uh, forum. You want to um, you want to ask about upgrading or lease breaks? Here's the leasing team. The resident doesn't think about it that way. They think about it as I talk to my property. I don't talk to my property. And inherently, the reason why this is a struggle uh, on both sides, everybody's frustrated, is because. The resident keeps getting routed to all of these things to the point where they give up. And then properties keep spending money on tools, workflows, services to uh, to kind of address these line items and then get frustrated because they don't get adopted at all. And the best thing about putting a service in the middle is that you can satisfy both needs without changing the way that either of these parties work. So the resident just texts us and we happen to be able to synthesize that information to figure out what it's about. And not only can we route it, so as an example, again, like my sink is leaking. Okay, like, first of all, as a resident without ResiDesk, I have to now figure out where the ticketing system is, find my login and that password that I forgot ages ago, reset password, go back to my email, go back. And I'm really frustrated because my sink is leaking. And I just say sink leaking. That now goes to the property team. It's a ticket. It happens to be, it may or may not be tagged. The property team now knows that there's some ticket about some sink. 
there isn't enough information. They send somebody to my apartment. They have to email me back, ask me when I'm going to be in the apartment or if they have permission to enter. We go back and forth to coordinate. We come back. They check out the sink. They go back. They take a bunch of pictures. They then may or may not that day add to the description. Then two days later, somebody looks at that list of tickets, looks at the unresolved ticket. Hopefully it's at the top of the priority list by then. And they figure out that it needs a plumber. They look at their list of local plumbing services, call the plumber. Plumber goes back again. They reach out to me again, trying to figure out when I can let the plumber in. Plumber comes in and says the description that the site team put in was inaccurate. So now they have to go back and get another bunch of tools. And then we go round and round and round again. And it's been three weeks. And then site team is frustrated because it's another ticket and their boss is yelling at them. Resident is frustrated because the site team hasn't communicated anything to them in this entire gap. We sit in the middle. And now same scenario with residents. Resident texts us and says, and says the sink is leaking. We're like, okay, that needs a little bit more information. We ask them to send a picture. That pulls in. Uh, we're doing some image recognition, object detection. We see where the actual issue is. We have a set of guidelines that we've trained our, uh, that we've trained an LLM on or fine-tuned an LLM on. We have it generate a structured description of what, what the issue is and what tools are needed to fix it and who you might need to fix it. That automatically goes into the ticketing system. Nobody had to remember anything. And it's automatically tagged and prioritized based on how severe it is. And because ResiDesk is monitoring the system, while the site team prioritizes and figures out what to do, we are constantly updating the resident whenever they have a question. So they're never in the void. Site team now doesn't have to do the the whole like going back and forth to my apartment. So that's five round trips avoided right there. They know exactly who to call, what they need. They send that over. The maintenance person who comes in, plumber, electrician, whoever, has access to the entire chat transcript based on what was happening. They can look at it and they can come in and they fix it. So it's one go. Everybody has transparency. And the whole thing cost the the building less money and kept the resident experience at a really high level. That's one example of one interaction, or well, it's not really one interaction, one kind of problem that is an everyday occurrence at literally all of the 45 million rental units across the country, not to mention the many, many, many millions more across the world. One example, right? Same thing happens when it's a payment question. Same thing happens when it's feedback about the gym. Same thing happens when somebody has a question about renewing their lease early. No, there is effectively no way to dedicate human time at the scale and the cost that you require to help serve residents, even though the benefits are obvious. And so that's where we come in and help with all of these thousands of everyday interactions. And then eventually that leads to millions of conversations a month that again, AI plus our own expertise in the domain can help us roll up to the level of managers, then executives, and then ultimately investors to help them figure out everything from where do I need to add more people on staff through to what amenities should I be buying uh, through to what kind of property should I be acquiring? Because that's where I'm most competent at providing the best kind of resident experience. All predicated again on this one really simple thing. If the customer and the business can talk to each other effectively and efficiently, then you you open the door for all sorts of magic to happen. Makes a lot of sense. And you know, when you read the, you know, 
industry reports about where AI is getting adopted, customer service, you know, obviously shows up very high. And I think this is kind of like, yeah. uh, this is why, right? <laughs> there's, there's a lot to do. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm curious to, to go back in time a, a bit, because, you know, you mentioned that uh, ResiDesk wasn't conceived as an AI-based product. And, you know, mm-hmm. ChatGPT came out in November. The last year has been like probably the fastest year in sort of AI progress and, you know, ever or at least in, you know, recent mm-hmm. memory. Um, what was the first... At least of, on the application level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what was the first sort of seed of, uh, of uh, in, insider realization that, you know, you had a problem that could be solved this way and uh, had, it, you know, the first aha moment, like take us back there. So there's really sort of two critical points, I think. One that, well, you know, one that really predates Chad GPT and then one that happened around the time that we were able to get access to GPT. So when I say it wasn't conceived as an AI company, what I mean in that is that our goal was to get the data first. And then we knew that AI would play a role as a co-pilot to help us synthesize and analyze the data. But the way that we saw that going, at least initially, was that we would probably have to do the foundational work to even get our first product out from an AI standpoint. That is tagging conversations, understanding sentiment, but much more importantly, analyzing and synthesizing all of this fuzzy text. And so that, that I think, made us paint a very different type of future for the company. One where our primary focus was in the human aspect of the customer service first um, and almost exclusively. And the idea was that that would help us scale the business to the point where we could start investing in foundational AI models to help us set up the most specialized uh, tools to to solve for these workflows. Uh, so that was the initial point. Our thinking uh, was that, you know, probably in the beginning of 2022, to start pulling in at least the basics uh, of the, it's AI, but really just like basic NLP stuff. So like tagging, sentiment analysis, entity analysis, and so on and so forth into analyzing the conversations themselves. However, it still left a lot of gaps that we intentionally didn't choose to address. So something that I painted a picture of for you earlier is that there is simply tons and tons of metadata around the property that we weren't using. We were simply analyzing the conversations that were happening on our platform, which meant that we were missing a lot of context. So context from you know, welcome packets about the building, context from notices that were sent as PDFs, context around uh, previous conversations that were transcripts and, and call logs over the phone, analyzing the Google reviews for the property to see what people were talking about. There's almost literally no end to all the metadata that was available. However, to be completely candid with you, it was just way too much work to try and bring that back into the context of the conversations we were having with the resident. And so we figured that that would be a three years down the line thing uh, because there was just so much value in just having these conversations in the first place. At least that's where we thought we were going. Then I think the, the, re, the aha moment happened in a couple of different phases, which is first when GPT-3 um, started becoming a thing in this pre-age chat GPT is we started playing around with the uh, OpenAI API as soon as we got access to it. And while it was, it certainly wasn't anywhere near as quick and capable as what it was today, we immediately saw that it was pretty good at understanding 
fuzzy context. So as an example, we were able to use it to summarize a lot of the conversations that we were having with residents much more accurately and much more in, in much more in depth than previous summarization tools that we had used. And that made it really important to us because we could create visibility into the conversations that we were having with residents back to the teams on site, uh, which meant that they could solve issues quicker. That was aha moment number one. Really cool. Uh, not necessarily transformative yet, but useful. Then uh, ChatGPT comes along and we start using it for random, for lots of like ad hoc analysis uh, projects around our text data. And we start figuring out that this is really helpful in helping us create reports to analyze properties um, to understand what people were asking about at a building, which then helped us start creating more open-ended conversations with residents, right? Like instead of asking a 10-point survey, uh, which we never did, but for the sake of argument, let's just say our questions were fairly constrained about things that the property manager wanted to know, whether they should add weights at the gym or like people would pay more for a co-working space. We were limited to sort of rudimentary text analysis before then. And now suddenly it felt like we weren't limited at all. And then when 3.5 Turbo came in, which meant that we could do all of this at the same level of accuracy and capability, but as fast as the fastest APIs from Google Cloud on the NLP stuff, that's when the, 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 the real transformation happened. Because now the question was, well, literally everything we do in terms of our workflows, it's about text analysis. So it just became a race of finding all the different places where we could use it to add value. Um, and something that really did work in our favor was because we were never built to be a 100% AI-driven chatbot, we always had a human in the loop. We realized that our margin for error with our AI tools was generally just much higher, which meant that the cost of implementation just went from, you know, real CapEx to almost no CapEx because the AI made a mistake. The human always had a chance to edit it before it ever reached a customer. And so that gave us the confidence to start experimenting. And then once we started doing that, we were more than pleasantly surprised because once you give it a narrow enough use case and enough context, uh, AI tends to be right, you know, 995 out of 1,000 times. And that's generally better than most of, the, most of the human operators anyway. So it ended up turning our business from one that was scaling more than linear, but less than exponentially in terms of how many people we needed to support the residents on the platform to now incredibly exponential, right? Like we, we, have, we support hundreds of thousands of apartments with, you know, single digit teams. And that is, that is, you know, that, that's about a one to 10,000 ratio in terms of what the property management industry actually needs uh, to support a single apartment. Now, I'm comparing, you know, apples to horses a little bit in that, it, in, in that scenario, but it paints a picture of how quickly you can scale millions of conversations with the human touch, with personalization, with context, without needing to sacrifice the the, the emotional quotient of human to human connection. Okay. So so the story here is basically you had you had envisioned a lot of this stuff happening eventually, but you thought of it as, mm -hmm. you know, this, you know, expensive, difficult yeah. endeavor. And then it sort of came down to earth and sort of became this much more accessible thing thanks to 
GPT 3.5 Turbo and and you know the the latest round of models. Yeah. Do you do you have it? Could you give us a sense of like how how much less expensive? Like what 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 was you know, in your mind? What was the number of like dollars you thought you might have to spend to build an intelligent system like this versus what it actually is today? And if that if, if you don't have like exact numbers to quote, that's that's okay. I just like give us a a, a general yeah. sense. Well, um, I think the simplest way to say it uh, without I don't know that I do have exact numbers, but I thought this would be a, you know a team of three to four data people focused on focused on just understanding everything that was happening with our conversations, and now it is me and GPT. Damn. So are you um, are you spending a lot of your time um, and and like these two years from now instead of now? Yeah, right, right. Well, I mean, that's the founder of life, right? You spend 80% of your time talking to the customer and then the other 80% of your time building the product. <laughs> yeah, right. Sounds about right. Cool. So one other, one other question that I think gets asked a lot these days is like, where mm-hmm. where will the value accrue in as AI kind of becomes more important mm-hmm. uh, economically? So like you've got your sort of base layer of, you know, GPUs and NVIDIA and, you know, the 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 infrastructure and then all the way up the top you have the application layer in the middle you have you know various middleware and and you know the models the foundation models themselves curious to get your thoughts on that and also you know in the context of residesk how do you see yourselves kind of differentiating yourselves in, in the long term as you know other players in the customer success space kind of like figure these things out so two really good questions I guess I'll talk about the ResiDesk one first and then we can talk about, because I think they're both related. So to us, we see sort of two areas where we differentiate ourselves and they were the same with or without um, AI being a part of the company, which was we were we are creating a connection that did not exist and facilitating conversations that did not used to happen. That was and continues to be the enduring sort of pillar on which we're building all of these other items of value on the platform. AI happens to be a almost unimaginably interesting accelerant to that process. And we are, we're incredibly thrilled with what, what's happened. But our differentiation ultimately is in our ability to take all of this contextual data and apply it to this very specific vertical while keeping the human touch. We would still be the same business today without AI, uh, just maybe a little bit smaller and a little less interesting as a um, from an operational efficiency standpoint. But the product thesis was always the same. So um, we have our our idea has always been that AI is really an efficiency enabler across all the parts of our business. You know, like without getting into a rabbit hole about moats and, 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 and stuff like that, because you know, ultimately there are no real moats. Um, your best moat is, you know, recognizing all the path dependent decisions you made to get where you are and uh, continuing to double down on the ones that work. For us, because we are building software for an operationally focused business, we've had the incredible fortune of, you know, being operationally minded from day one. Um, because all the parts of our process needed to be efficient for us to serve such a large industry. And that ended up being really high leverage for us once AI came along, because the other part of where we use AI is, you know, all the internal things, right? Like 80% of what any company does is the same as what every other company does. It's in answering the support tickets. It's in, you know, 
analyzing uh, analyzing what's happening with your dashboard and your customer communications and like summarizing your sales calls and your internal call transcripts and and making sense of your product feedback and all of that stuff, right? And the reason all of those things today aren't just vertical SaaS solutions is because there's a, that like last 5% of the context really matters. So it's really easy now to just set up a GPT automation with Make to answer my support questions. Uh, really easy to set up a GPT automation with Make to summarize my Slack to-dos for the day. And all of these eventually will become tools. But the fact that we can, as a startup with basically no time to do anything, implement these efficient solutions means that we get to spend more time focusing on the product. And ultimately, that's what differentiates any company, um, right? Like, is the amount of time that they spend learning and then implementing those learnings back into their core product, assuming that they found a value prop that customers care about. I think that's sort of where we see the value accruing in the ecosystem as well, although that's only one small subset. Um, Of course, you're right. I think the infrastructure players obviously have a lot of value to create, and I think they will continue to be um, probably the most important players. One level above uh, above that, the uh, instrumentation guys, the logging guys, the monitoring guys, the testing guys, I think, you know, those are interesting spaces to watch, although we'll see how much they ultimately end up differentiating themselves. This, in, in many ways, um, this echoes back to, you know, there's going to be a data dog for the AI industry, but it might just be data dog themselves. Um, there's going to be you know, there's going to be an AWS for AI, but it might just be AWS themselves. So um, I don't necessarily know that the it might be the same people at the same levels of the stack just expanding into AI versus an AI native person on the stack. All the way, the stuff in the middle is really fuzzy to me, right? Like the the if you think of the infrastructure to application layer as a spectrum, I don't really know what the middle ground looks like. And I think we're all still figuring this out. Um, on the application layer, it seems to start uh, diverging really quickly. Um, it feels like horizontal solutions, with the exception of a few people like Copy AI, who were early winners, seem to be more of the same everywhere. Uh, whereas the vertical solutions are starting to gain a lot, of, a lot of traction. Of course, we're a little bit biased because we are a vertical software. Therefore, we happen to think that this is the right way to go, or at least this is a good way to go. But it feels like in a world where in a world where AI is almost a commodity, uh, your real value at the application layer is context. Um, and so whoever has the best integrations within a vertical to pull all of the relevant context into the jobs to be done is the ultimate uh, winner in that industry. And I mean, beyond that, of course, it really depends on the dynamics of the market, the team and everything else. But like, if I had to boil it down to one thing, it's that context is king, uh, right? Uh, if that's why everybody cares so much about prompt engineers, uh, it's not about the way you write the prompt; it's about what you put in it. So that's where we see it. Like the infrastructure players, I think, really do win. the The one level up above that, the instrumentation guys, I think, is an interesting battle. Everything above that, through to the application layer, is fuzzy. And then on the application layer, the vertical applications seem to be running away with it you know, on in the moment. I think the horizontal guys might be might be a little bit early, but eventually once the models and the parameters uh, parameter sizes catch up, 
maybe there's some interesting place there as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with you on on I'm, I'm I too am bullish on vertical SaaS. I think that's a a very a very good place to be these days uh, with the emergence of AI for right. a lot of the reasons you said. That said, I'm I'm pretty interested to see what happens mm-hmm. with. Um, the, the Microsoft Teams, Google Workspace, Slacks of the world and kind of how much of the AI mm-hmm. headwinds they can capture. I don't know if you saw the, the Microsoft yeah. announcement that they have an AI add-on now that is expensive. I don't, I don't remember how expensive, but uh, they're going to capture something. More so, than I can afford. Yeah. So, okay, so all this stuff is, is, is working out really well for you. How, how are you thinking about uh, kind of the future of your product and also your team? Like, you know, now that you see this this opportunity, are you doubling down on it by kind of ref- reflecting that in your roadmap and uh, your hiring plans? And if so, how? Uh, so again, it's become... So the short answer is yes to both of those things. And I think what's been... What's astonishing about all of the AI stuff has been that it's it has quickly grown to be fundamental to all of our plans. So again... Much like I was saying how the, the company is still the same company uh, with or without the AI, but the AI is uh, accelerating us, you know, at an exponential rate. That is a, that's a broad statement that applies to our product roadmap as well, right? So our product roadmaps are consistently built around how can we capture context from our conversations? And then how can we understand the top three, four, five things that our customers care about this year, next year, the year after that? Those are all workflows that can be pulled back into the conversation once we can match the contexts so that we can make it cheaper, easier for them. So like that maintenance example that I gave you or focusing on payment reminders or focusing on, you know, helping residents figure out when they can, you know, when they when they need to pay utility payment, as an example, right? Like there's hundreds or thousands of things. It's, in fact, it's almost kind of crazy. Like we probably talk to we interact with our property with our apartments for about like 20 to 30 different things and these things are all like so ingrained in our day-to-day that we don't even realize it but you know of those 20 to 30 things there's only a small subset in any given year that matter to a given property um, at a given time and so we are we're now thinking well those those are the constants in our product roadmap ai now just means or I think the best way to say it is that we're, we were going to be investing in those features anyway. Now, it just means that the roadmap is now pulled back by three years um, every time. Because what we thought we were able to accomplish three years from now, uh, we can probably consider doing that right now, right? That example I gave you, fully understanding the context by image analysis plus conversation history on an issue with somebody's apartment down to the level of marrying it to, I have a problem with my washer, uh, marrying it to the manual to look at, you know, what the common troubleshooting issues might be, asking them the follow-ups, and then recording those conversations back to the back to the property. Like that was something we thought we would be able to do for, you know, for for a customer maybe next year, and with a team. So that's the impact on hiring as well. I think it has changed uh, not only the number of people we want to hire, but the nature of people that we want to hire. Right. And this might not be true as we scale up our team significantly. Of course, we are in the very early stages, but it means that we can now put a premium on the quality of the person that we need to hire. And and we can make do with like one or two really high quality people where earlier we might have needed four or five. Um, and that 
benefits us in terms of you know being able to keep the team small, keeping it nimble, and and of course running a capital efficient business. Uh, and so all of those things really do uh, really do have a massive impact. The last thing I'll touch on in, on hiring is that even outside of product and engineering hiring, it's changed the nature of the candidates that we want to look at, right? Because uh, even a salesperson with, you know, uh, a, a decent level of curiosity now gets, you know, massive benefits from AI. Like as an example, like we had, it's there's a public database of uh, people who applied for the PPP loan from COVID times and. It's a data exercise, right, to figure out which of those were real estate, which of those were residential real estate, figure out by scraping their websites, uh, which of those fall into the ideal customer profile for us, and then turn them into leads in our CRM to look at them. That is now a two-day exercise in uploading the CSV into Code Interpreter, uh, making it do a lookup, uh, downloading the Python script, running it, and then having um, and then writing a Google plugin again with ChatGPT uh, to set it up on your CRM by using the API integration. That can all be done by somebody who is perhaps, uh, you know, not trained technically, but has enough curiosity to try it a couple of times and figure it out. Um, and so in a way, this has never been not true, but a resourceful candidate today is capable potentially of a lot more than a candidate with just a high skill level. And so that's changed the way that we think about even interviewing people for the team, which has been pretty awesome because now you're just a bunch of curious people trying to figure out things that work and there's nothing more fun than that. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Is that something that you've actually seen someone on, on your sales team do or is that something you're hoping is going to happen at some point? Uh, well, that's a project that we're working on right now. Okay, <laughs> got, it, got it. Cool. Yeah, I've spent a little bit of time with Code Interpreter and it is uh, pretty pretty freaking cool what's possible. And I feel like it would, it would take a while to, to find the outer right. limits of it. So, cool. Yeah. One other question on my mind. Um, so you mentioned there was a little bit of fine-tuning going on for anyone who's listening mm-hmm. who's not familiar with the term. Basically, fine-tuning is basically like model training. And it's something you don't actually have to do mm-hmm. all the time these days because these cloud APIs offer a way to kind of uh, do inference or prediction without um, any any training data. But Arjun, I'm curious, what what are the cases where you have found that necessary, and how have you kind of known that you know you have to go beyond what the the base foundation model can do and actually go and and do your own fine tuning to get some value out of the the product? So we do fine tuning quite rarely. It is usually a speed and cost related exercise. So I think the best way to put it is that if we find a use case that is that happens at high volume and is a very narrow set of questions that we need to ask the AI, then we consider it a candidate for fine tuning because you know, pre GPT 3.5 turbo and pre larger context windows, we were considering fine tuning everything. Right, because you couldn't fit enough context about that building, that that apartment, that resident, that particular question, uh, that particular guideline into the prompt, and and get a good answer. Therefore, you had to do all sorts of trickery, like chaining questions together uh, to get to the right answer. It was all about managing the amount of questions within the number of tokens that the API would support. So, anytime we ran into an issue like that, we would consider fine tuning. That all changed, and I think this is a mark of how quickly things are changing in this um, in this space. 
that all changed very quickly once we started getting into these models that have bigger context windows. So for use cases like summarization, analysis, um, even code generation in some cases, we have completely sort of moved away from the idea of fine-tuning or at least pushed it back quite a bit. So where we do use it today is uh, things like entity recognition and tagging. So these are typically model questions with finite inputs and finite outputs, except that there is a not just the output, not only are your outputs finite, they're actually countably, you know, they're all, they're, they're kind of like countably small. Uh, there's only like, really, there's only like 80 things a conversation can be about when it's a conversation about your apartment. Mm-hmm. And I'm being a little bit facetious, but not really. And so we were able to recognize sort of decent cost savings, even though, of course, GPT 3.5 Turbo is not expensive at all. But much more importantly, really good improvements on API speed. And that mattered to us because when we're starting to get to, you know, millions in message volumes every month, and we're trying to analyze and tag every message that we send and receive, speed is obviously a bottleneck. And fine-tuning was a way for us to get around that. So that's our current philosophy. Fine-tuning is for narrow and well-defined use cases. For fuzzy use cases, just frankly, jam as much as you can into the prompt, use the higher context window until you find, you know, a decent set of predictable responses. Then either consider using, you know, either a vector database to to continuously search for and find context and inject it in the prompt if you want to reduce the context window or alternatively fine tune it uh, based on the responses that you've got. So I would say one thing that we have learned, uh, which is really has nothing to do with fine-tuning, but also has everything to do with it, is if you are using any of this, uh, any, any, any calls to an AI provider at all, please log the hell out of it. <laughs> it is really, really important for something that has such non-deterministic responses to be able to monitor the inputs and the outputs as closely as you can, because that's what helps you iterate faster than uh, you otherwise would be. It, it, I would almost go so far as to say any any AI implementation that's not well instrumented uh, is a recipe for confusion down the line. We have made that mistake a few times and it's been not disastrous because like all the stuff is you know fairly easy to reverse. But uh, there have definitely been many times where we wished that we had instrumented everything we were doing from day one so that we could recognize opportunities to get better and then improve either the prompt or the inputs or the uh, parameters or the model, all of those things. Um, So this is one of those cases where you almost want to, you almost want to be continuously monitoring it in order to get better. And that doesn't even touch on the cost aspect of it, right? Like there's lots of things where you start with the most expensive model and then you realize Uh, it's better to go with something a little bit cheaper and faster anyway, because the use case is narrower than you thought. Got it. I love, log the hell out of it. I think that's a good, good advice for, for AI and maybe for, for Mm -hmm. life, for life and software engineering in general. So yeah, we could, that's true. (laughs) We we could talk all day, I think uh, about this, but I want to let you go at some point. So uh, maybe, maybe to close it out, (laughs) zooming out to maybe like, you know, industry at large, uh, real estate or otherwise, do you have any advice for larger larger companies who you know basically want to 
benefit from these all of these developments? Uh, yeah. So a couple things, and uh, we wish that we had known this earlier than we did. This stuff is really cheap to experiment with as long as you have a human in the loop. Unlike most other foundational improvements to technology, this is you know where a company of any size, you're like, well, I'm going to set up an investigatory team to look into this, and then we're going to decide a project plan and a place to implement it, and then we'll figure out who to put on it, and then and then actually implement it, and you end up with a six-month timeline. It's in your benefit to have somebody start experimenting with this stuff right away. Give them something really simple, really narrow, but have somebody start to become an expert in how to talk to the computer and, and use it. And... The cost of implementation is way, 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 way lower than you think, as long as the use case is really narrow, right? Like, you don't have to start with something that is core to your product. I think one misconception, or at least one impression that uh, anybody could get if they go to the uh, many AI Demo Day events that seem to be popping up all over the place, is that the only way to implement the stuff is if you want to do your product, but AI. And that's actually not true at all. That's one important way to approach it. But really think of this as a way to get a thousand interns on a product where you, where you could use them. Literally any workflow within your business. It's just as impactful internally as it is externally. It may be even more so internally than externally, to be honest, because most people in most businesses spend time taking something that somebody wrote and rewriting it in another way for them to consume. And voila, we have a technology that is literally perfectly suited to understanding and making, um, you know, making progress on those workflows. So have somebody start trying this stuff right away. Don't assume that just because there's no your product, but AI version of it, that there's no use for it within your company. Because if you have somebody doing the work on something, the chances are they can be um, they can be augmented with this stuff and get really good at doing the same work, and it's pretty amazing. Cool. Well, very very good advice. And Arjun, sounds like you're uh, you're benefiting benefiting a lot from from this stuff. So I think other people should probably so far so good. Li- li- listen listen up. But uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, uh, any last minute things you want to mention or plug before we wrap? No, I think uh, I I would just reemphasize the last point. This stuff is really fun to play with. Don't get discouraged if it doesn't give you the right answer on day one or even on try 10. The cool thing about this stuff is that you can try 50 times and make it get to the right answer and uh, move it forward. Cool. So like anybody who wants to use this, there's almost no excuse not to. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Arjun. Hope to uh, talk to you again soon. Yep. Have a good one. Cool. that's it for the show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast app of choice. Once again, the show is brought to you by Endeavor Labs, a data and AI-focused consultancy run by yours truly. If you have feedback about the podcast or want to talk data, please reach out, Nathan at EndeavorLabs.co. Once again, that's Nathan at EndeavorLabs.co. I'll see you next time.